0: Amen. It's good to be in the house. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together, if you would. Stand to your feet. Thank you, Brother Jared. Turn to Isaiah chapter 59. By now, this should be very familiar to everyone here. I think it was, went on record that it was three services in a row, it was the text, and now I'm going to make it service number four, but it's not in a row. So, But uh, Isaiah chapter 59. We'll just start at verse uh, 15. It says, Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. Kinda of sounds like today. You want to stand for what's right and what's true and depart from evil, you're gonna have some kickback. You're gonna have some people that wonder what are you doing, why are you doing that? Why are you trying to live right? Why are you trying to talk right? Why are you trying to do right? Why are you do these things? Everybody's doing this. This is the very next statement. And the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that, that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. Amen. We know who that intercessor is, is today, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Still making intercession on our behalf. But it says, and he, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. And was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries. Recompense to his enemies. To the islands he will repay. Recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord. From the west... And his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. From who? From those that turn from sin. To those that are in Zion, I've made a covenant with them. Those that are filled with the Spirit, my Spirit that is upon thee, he says, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forevermore. Let's also just read the next verse together. And it says, Arise. Shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Verse 2 says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, to come into your house and to have the opportunity to read your word and to sing the songs of Zion and to worship. But Lord, we want now if you would just come and, and, and make it real to our hearts, Amen. Lord. We ask you to help us just to get ourselves out of the way, Lord, that your spirit could move through both the speaker and the hearer of the word. Yes. Lord, that you could move upon our hearts, Lord, that we would be be move to do good, Lord, and not evil, Lord, but rather that we would draw close unto you, and as we would draw to you, you would draw nigh unto us, Lord. Father, we have need of you, Lord, for without you truly, we will fail, and we will fall short, and we will come short of the glory of God, but Lord, if you would just come by our way tonight, Lord, if you would sweep over the pews, Lord, and just forget, Lord, and forgive the, the... in the incompetence of your servant Lord, but rather, Lord, may you come and speak, Lord Jesus. I just give it over to you. For Lord, you can speak and you can set captives free. You can heal blind eyes, Lord. You can heal any sickness or disease, Lord. It's nothing to you. But Father God, we need to yield to you, Lord. So tonight we want to say we surrender that you would have your way. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen. You may have your seats once more, thank you for standing for the to honor the reading of the word and I want tonight, maybe perhaps we'll just more lay in the word, and it won't be quite as evangelistic as as, as brother maxwell or or quite as teaching as Brother Paul, but we'll settle somewhere in the middle for preaching, as they call it. It's not teaching or preaching, it's kind of both, and so we'll just do the best we can and trust the lord but We read this scripture, and uh, and, uh, we'll we'll get to that in a moment, but I want to just introduce you to my title tonight, and and it may seem a strange title for for many, but I would like to call it The Banner of Jehovah Dismisses the Lover and the Mistress. The Banner of Jehovah Dismisses the Lover and the Mistress. Now, you might ask, (laughs) where are you going with that, Brother Andrew, and that's quite a lot, but Really what I'm speaking about is spiritual relationships, to have spiritual relationships and to have a mistress or a lover is a secret relationship. It's not a relationship you broadcast on the streets. It's only in this day and age where adultery and fornication really is broadcast as something to brag about when really it's one of the most shameful things there is. Because in reality, the, the, the lover or a mistress is something that, that man back in the day, it was something they were ashamed of, that they had failed, that they had fallen, that something had happened. But I want to speak to you on a, on a spiritual level tonight. I don't want to speak to you about the natural so much, but rather in the spiritual level because a, a spiritual battle is going on in each one of our lives. We're in a spiritual battle, right? There's many of you, I believe two weeks ago, had an experience and the Lord touched you and you really had a wonderful time in the presence of God. But I could ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have the devil been on your case since then? Whether mentally, whether physically, some way, shape, or form, he's fought you in some way in the last two weeks. He's desired to make you trip up, to make you fall, even to make you try and doubt what happened to you. Even to make you try and doubt that it was God that was there or to try and make you think something wasn't right. Because he's a master of that. He did it with Eve. He made her to try and think. He brought in the word of God and he said, well, you know, that's absolutely, that's the word of God. You shouldn't eat of this. You shouldn't do that. Absolutely, that's the word of God. But then he slipped a little extra in there. But thou shalt not surely die. When God said, you will surely die. And he began to reason with her to help her to, to, to doubt what the word of God had made real to her already. He still tries. He's still in the business of doing that today. But these, these are secret relationships that, that are kept hidden. Relationships that, you, you, that, that, that tell you that you can't tell anybody else about it. This is a relationship that begins to speak to you in your inner spirit realm. Are you with me? I'm talking about in your mind. I'm talking about something you do in the private time. When you're alone and nobody else is there, that you know it's wrong. But there's something in you that you keep doing it and it keeps telling you, you can't tell anybody about this. This is your little secret. This is your guilty pleasure, if you will. But now... These relationships are also, they're toxic and break down the moral fabric of the individuals involved in them. Yeah. Something that you know is wrong, but you just can't seem to quit. You know you shouldn't do it, but you just, you just can't Stop. Every time you're alone, you're in the private of your own bedroom, or whether you're wherever you are, and everybody's gone. You got your little phone, you got a little device. It's something you shouldn't be looking at, you shouldn't be reading, you shouldn't be feeding on, but you enjoy it so much that you feel like, well, nobody will know, and I'm never going to tell anybody. I know it's quiet, that's okay. But I want to declare to you that Jesus still today is Jehovah Nissi. Which to some of you might seem like quite a statement, but really that Jesus is Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi in the Old Testament was God unveiling Himself in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15 as as the banner. He is the banner over the people. In other words, He is the protection. And a banner is more than just protection. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ensign of war. It's, it's a banner that says, this is what we stand for. This is what we are. This is what we believe. This is where we're going. It's what we read in Isaiah chapter 59 where it says, the Lord will raise up a standard. He'll raise up a banner. In other words, He will raise up that He will reveal Himself again as Jehovah Nissi. Which is Jehovah God with his family as their banner. Yes. Amen. Remember, that's what we've been speaking on a young people's Jehovah. What is Jehovah to you, and what are you to Jehovah? Your relationship with Jehovah, God Almighty. Jehovah, God that lives with his family. As he was introduced in Genesis chapter 2, that he was no longer just God, Elohim, the self-existing one. But he came down to dwell with Adam and Eve. That he was Jehovah, he was God dwelling and existing with his family. Amen. And that he's still that today. But he, he came and all that Jehovah was, he embodied himself in Jesus. If you look at it and you were to read down in John chapter 16, and John chapter 17, you find he begins to create a banner, an ensign, something that that, that he, I'm just going to turn to it here so I can read it to you in John chapter 16. Mark, I didn't give you very many scriptures because I knew I would be jumping all over the place and it would take me just as long to give him all the scriptures I have as it would just to come over here and preach it. So... Thank you, Brother Mark. I, I know he's fast on that thing. Mark, or John chapter 16 and verse 17. Sorry, verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you a truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. That when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, I want you to understand if you were to go back to Exodus chapter 17, where he introduces himself as Jehovah Nissi, it was after a battle that they fought with the Amalekites. And they'd fought this battle, and Moses in verse 14 says, "The Lord said unto Moses, "Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly put out of remembrance of Amalek from under heaven." So what's he saying? There's judgment here. I'm coming down to do something about this sin. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. In other words, the battle isn't it yours it's the Lord will have war with Amalek. And here Jesus, as he's speaking, now this is after Jesus now, he's just with his disciples in the upper room speaking to them. Or he's with them in the, at the, the, the Last Supper. And he's just speaking with them and he's talking with them and Judas is left. Judas is gone to do what he's going to do. And as he's speaking with them, and he begins to tell them, I, I tell you a truth. And in verse 8 of chapter 16 of, of, of John, he says, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believed not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Thank the Lord. Amen. You say, well, the devil, he's doing so many bad things to me. He's already judged. God's already put a judgment over his head. That's why Satan hates the book of Revelation. Because he hates looking at his end where he'll be put in the the lake of fire and he'll be no more. He hates reading that. Because he recognizes that there's an end. There's already a judgment that's already been foretold and he doesn't want that. Nobody would. I know if it was written to me, you know, Andrew Dodd, yeah, you're going to do this and this and that. And then in the end, you know what, whatever you do, I'm just going to put you in the lake of fire. I'd I'd like to crumple that up and make sure nobody ever sees it. I would. Because you wouldn't want anyone to know. So that's why Satan's so against the Bible and the Word of God. Because he doesn't want people to understand exactly who he is. And a matter of fact, he's put the people today under such a strong delusion till they believe that sin is okay. And they don't want to look into the Bible and they want to call it old-fashioned because it's so pleasurable to live in sin. And everybody's doing it. It's so wonderful to do it. But the, but, but the Bible says it's wrong. But I, oh my, we're going to get into that a little bit later. So I don't want to get too much into it now. I have 20 pages in case you're wondering. I'm still halfway through page one. (laughs) But we won't get through 20 pages. Don't worry. (laughs) you would be here all day and night and day and night. But now, he's raised up the banner of love for his children. See, of love, that's what the banner is. Say, but it's talking about judgment of sin and it's talking about righteousness. And how is that love? Love is who God is. Yeah. To show the way of righteousness and to judge that which is wrong, it is the love of God. Yeah. Not a twisted version of love where everybody's okay. Everything's wonderful. You can do anything you want. Yeah. That's Satan's idea of love. That's why we got children today. Brother Branham called it parent delinquency. Because they took that twisted version of love to say, Johnny, you're perfect no matter what you do. I love you. You're my son. You just do anything you want. I love you. And they forgot that sometimes you need to discipline the child. Because if you don't tell him he's wrong sometimes, he's always going to think he's right. No matter how wrong he really is. Anyways, that's way off on a side transit there. Hallelujah. Real love for the truth and what is right. because he said in his word in 2 Corinthians 4 and 14, he says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? So you can't look at the darkness and say, oh, it's great. No, what communion has light with darkness? You're either of light or you're of darkness. You're either of righteousness or of unrighteousness. There is no middle. The only way that you can walk under the banner of God's love is to dismiss the secret relationships with sin. And let me also reverse that statement for you and say this. The only way you can dismiss those secret relationships with sin is to walk under the banner of love. Maybe that's a paradox, not at all. What you need to do is come to God with a penitent heart. That's why the scripture simply says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall receive. In other words, dismiss those things and get under God. Now, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, it doesn't say so that you can have a better chance. It says so you could even be able. In other words, unless you're willing to put on the armor of God, you don't have a chance. You're going to fall on your own merit. You're going to fall by a denominational creed. You're going to fall by a message creed. You can't just take it and say, well, this is what the pastor says, so I got this. No, you have to take it and put on the armor. You got to do it yourself. You got to have a personal relationship with God so that you are able to stand against the devil because there's only one that can defeat the morning star. He was the first angel created. He certainly know more, knows more than I do, but he does not know more than God knows. Because let me say this He was created, God was not. He is the creator. He's above the whole creation. He's the one that is eternal. And the only ones that can be eternal is those that are in him in the beginning. Amen. Well, it says that you would be able to stand against the wiles of the darts of the devil. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Remember, I said I want to speak about spiritual relationships. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This isn't about your relationship with the people at school or the people at work or the people wherever you go. It's not about those relationships. This is about your relationship with the devil or your relationship with God. I told the brothers, Brother John and Brother Max, they kept trying to hint at tonight's service, and I would just smile. Not give them too much insight into what I was preaching on. So I didn't want to give any away. But it says now in Ephesians 6, and we keep reading, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, not against weakness. We wrestle against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All of these things are spiritual things. This isn't spiritual wickedness. This isn't talking about Trudeau. This isn't talking about Trump. This isn't talking about Biden. This is talking about spiritual wickedness in high places. This is talking about a spirit that controls in high places. So we don't, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but the devil is still relentless in his war against the children of the Lord. He wants to do everything he can because I already said he knows his end, so he wants to do everything he can to delay that. And the only way he can delay that is to delay a body change, to delay a rapture, to delay you catching who you really are in the sight of God and who you really are in God because if he can delay that, he can delay his inevitable end. He's relentless. Furthermore, the scripture says that God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? So we fight against spiritual powers, but it's not that God's far off somewhere. God is a spirit. But he says, no, no, and now when we're fighting a spiritual warfare. And one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to appease the loss of the flesh. Now, I want to bring this to you now. The spiritual battle begins to kind of take on a little bit of a physical battle. But you have to recognize it's not a physical battle. Let me put it very simple and very a little bit humorous to you. It's not the cinnamon buns that are causing you to gain weight. It's you eating them. Okay? Them sitting on the counter aren't making you gain any weight. All right, the the weights on the floor don't make you strong. You have to pick them up. Amen. Amen. Right? There has to be a life in you to make you do something for good or for bad. There has to be a spirit battle go on within yourself to force your body to do something. But the greatest tactic of the enemy is to get you to try and give in to the lust or the temptations of the flesh. To try and get you to give in to what your flesh wants because that's the outside man. Right? You got an outside man, the flesh, where see, taste see, tastes, feel, smell, and hear. Not seal. That's, that's not one of them. But those are, those are your five senses and your flesh. Those are things you contact this outside world with. And in that, there's a lot of temptations that come in. But it's not necessarily your flesh that is to blame. Because rather, it's something on the inside that gives way to what the flesh sees, or what it hears, or what it feels, or what it tastes. You taste those cinnamon, but just a little taste, just a little bit. That's all I'm going to have, and we're going to be okay. But pretty soon, something on the inside gives way. That's amazing. Give me the rest. Two hands up, Brother Ethan. All right. He could gain some weight, though. But now, that's, that's the way it is. It's not that all of a sudden, oh, by this crazy mouth of mine, it just keeps eating and eating. I just can't stop it. No, it's something on the inside that's driving you. That's pushing you. That's causing you to give in to those lusts, to give in to those desires. And it's one of his tactics, especially when it comes to sinful things. That's why these devices that we have are so dreadful. They could be some of the greatest things ever. It could be so fantastic to have access to information so quick. I could call you, Brother Sam, on the phone and know exactly what you're doing. And hey, can you come over and help me with this? It could be wonderful. But it could also be a terrible thing. Especially when you get alone and all of a sudden, if you're a man, all of a sudden you hear that mistress's voice calling to you. Or if you're a sister, you hear your lover's voice calling to you, your little secret thing that's calling to you, say, but we just, oh, you're so alone. You're lonely, you're bored. So bored. I'm just bored. I have to do it. You know, there's nothing else to do. Meanwhile, your Bible's sitting over there on the bedside table. Yeah. You roll this way. There's just nothing to do. Oh, man. Uh, I should pray. I'll get out on my knees. Oh, it's cold. What do I do now? You know, the age old saying, well, I'll just, I'll just lay under my covers and pray. And they... then you wake up two hours later. I prayed for two hours. No, you slept for two hours. Yeah. Just trying to keep you in it. Hey man. He's relentless. Those things they originate in the spirit. Therefore, it takes away your desire to fight. There's a man that was asked one time, He said, you know, I think it was Brother Bram that asked him, he said, How are you doing? He said, Well, doing okay. And he said, you know, there's a battle in me, there's a white dog and there's a black dog, right? They're always fighting. So Brother Brown asked him, "Well, which one's winning? He said, well, it depends which one I feed the most. Right? If you're always feeding the black dog with all the things of the world and all the things that are evil and sinful, guess who's winning? And next thing you know, you're sitting in church, and your mind's just going and going and going about something else, and you're like, man, what's going on? How come I can't focus? How come I can't concentrate? And now I'm, i I'm finally alone, got some time to pray, and now my mind's just way over on this thing, and now I'm driving down the road, and I should be focused on the road, but I, I just can't help it. Why? You're feeding the black dog all the time. And it's just getting stronger and stronger. And that little voice inside of you saying, don't do it. It's getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, weaker. But if you keep reading in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. I hope you're keeping your Bibles with you. It says, stand therefore. Let's go back to verse 13. I don't think we read verse 13, did we? Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's today. And having done all to stand. Right. This is not laying down on the job. We're not going to sleep our way to heaven. It's a battle. Right? It's a fight. And the very next verse, verse 14, says, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness, now as we about, this is not physical armor. This is spiritual armor. In other words, this is something in the spirit realm. This is something inside of you that you feed on. Having your loins gird about with truth. One place in Peter, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Right? Not literally your loins, but gird up the loins of your mind. So that you, with the word of God, you've got to feed. You've got to stay in the word of God. You've got to pray. You've got to have the breastplate of righteousness. Righteous living. It's a big protection. You can read Titus chapter 2 if you want where it talks about to have a good conversation so that you may not be condemned. And stand therefore having your learns good about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, sister, brother, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Hey, man, where are you going? Where are you walking? In your mind. We're all walking somewhere in our mind. You're going over here, going back to my comfort zone. I like to think about this when I'm, my happy place, as they call it. Right? Everybody's got one. When you're nervous and you're uncomfortable, your mind triggers something, and you go back to something that you realize, I'm happy here, so I'll just, I'll think about this. But it's not what's actually happening. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's not the happen chance. It's the preparation. Let's carry on. I don't want to spend too too much time on this. It says, above all, take the shield of faith. Wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked you got to have faith in the word. Okay, I'm just going to say it this way. We don't want to be two-handed swordsmen where I got the sword of the word and I can sure wield it good. And I'll just, I'll knock down every dart. I'm so good with this sword. I, I can debate the word of God till I'm blue in the face. But if you don't have faith in it, you can't block a dart. If you don't have faith in what you're reading, it ain't doing you any good. You might be able to put scripture upon scripture together, but if you don't believe it, you say, I'll just debate my way through it. You're going to find yourself in a whole lot of binds because you'll find somebody that's smarter than you. Wherewith you may be able, once again, not have a better chance, be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Not some of them, all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18. Praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This isn't praying to the old saints like the Catholics do. I'm supplicating for these saints. No, this is praying for the saints of God. Pray and intercede for one another like we just had. So I started with a couple testimonies this morning. There was a couple things that happened. Sister Hannah was asking, I'd like a job. Could you pray? We got down. We started praying. And guess what? Her own testimony. You heard her words tonight where she said, it was even better than I thought it'd be. Hallelujah. Why? Because there was someone that got on their knees. Not just me. All kinds of people that got on their knees and they begin to pray. And they begin to seek, God, God, would you give Sister Hannah a job? She needs a job, Lord. Would you give her a job? And not just repetition. Say, Lord, you said you're Jehovah Jireh, that you would provide all of our needs. And she has need of a job. Would you give her a job? And God came down and give her something better than what she was ever expecting. Oh, if we just trusted him, he'd give us the exceeding abundant. Amen. Not a fleshly armor. It originates from the faith within the soul. This armor originates from faith down in the soul. Because you know, down inside, right down on the inside, right, there's only two things in there. Down in the soul of man, there's only faith or doubt. You either believe or you don't. That's why if you go back into Genesis, you go back to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, you find out that Satan through the serpent chose the mind. That's what the battleground is because that's what the devil chose to make that the battleground through the reasonings and, and the affections and the imagination and the memory and the conscience and all those things to try and get into you there, to try and make it so that way he could reason out the word of God with you just like he did with Eve. But God never chose that. God never said to Eve, Eve, let me explain to you why you can't eat of this tree. I'm going to tell you about the chemical properties of the fruit. I'm going to talk to you about all these things. I'm going to talk to you why. And we know it was so much more beyond that. But I don't want to get into all of it because then that will be the whole service. But he didn't didn't come down and explain to her why you don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He just told her don't do it. Because God chose faith. You either believe or you don't exactly the same way Jesus. Jesus, when he came, he didn't come and begin to debate with the, with the elders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these people. He didn't come and do that. He just told them, uh, this is the word. If you believe it, great. If you don't, you don't. It's that simple. You've got to have faith. And that's where these, this armor of, of God, it originates down in there. It starts in faith that you believe and you want to do what's right. And it begins to push out and fortifies our spirit from the enemy so that we will not fall by the temptations of the flesh. Now go with me to Romans chapter 6. Now we've laid a foundation. Romans chapter 6 and verse 19. Are you with me still? Is this okay? Do you need to stand up? All right. If you need to stand up, stand up. Stretch your legs. Go ahead. You need to stand up. You stand up. I won't be offended. We can all stand up, do a jumping jack, and sit back down if that's really what we need. But we're in this together. All right. Thank you. Somebody took my offer. Praise God. Romans chapter 6 verse 19 says it this way. Paul writing here, he says, I speak after the manner of man because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members as servants of uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. What's iniquity? Obedience, but it's really, you know better and you don't do it. Right. Or, you know you should do something and you don't. He says, you used to yield them from iniquity unto iniquity. So in other words, he's not talking to people that don't know. He's talking to those of you who know the word of God. Who know the law. Who know what's written. Who know what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And he's talking to you saying, listen, this is for you. I'm talking to you because of why. Not saying, listen, you just got to do better. You got to, well, what's your problem? No, he's saying, you have a weak flesh. We all do. Okay, can we get that? We all have a weak flesh. It doesn't matter how many huge muscles you have, you still have a tempted flesh. You still are going to look at things and you still are going to see things that are tempting to you because you're designed in such a way. And Satan plays on that, plays on that, plays on that to try and tempt your spirit to fall. Listen, once you're born again and your soul is sealed, it's sealed to the day of your redemption. That soul cannot fall. But he can still access your spirit if you let him. And how does he do it? He does it through the gateways of the flesh. He puts something in front of you to see. He tells you something through your ear. He lets you touch something. that You think, oh, i got to have more of this. To uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity. Even so now, yield your members, servants of righteousness, unto holiness. Amen. In other words, there's got to be a reversal of the rules here. Whereas before, something came from the outside in and caused you to do something wrong. Now let it be something from the inside pushing out, causing you to do something right. And that will create a holy life. Listen today to thinking man's filter, a holy man's taste. If you've got a thinking man's filter, if you filter your life through the Word of God, you'll come out with a holy man's taste. Now, who's writing this? I want to just take a, st- a moment on this. Who's writing this in Romans? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, good. We know this. Paul. Paul is, right? He's, he's writing this. Now, who's Paul? Who's Paul in the Scripture? You say, well, I mean, he wrote a lot of the Old Testament, right? He was a good guy. He was, you know, he, he was a guy that persecuted everybody, and then next thing you know, he turned around, and now he's all of a sudden on the right side, and now, no, he's more than that. He's the first messenger, exactly. He was raised in a believing home. They didn't believe that Jesus Christ, who was who he was, but they believed the Torah. They took the word of God. As soon as you go back to the, the Torah, the first five books, the Old Testament, they sang the Psalms of David, they read the writings of Solomon, they did all of these things, they taught him well. He went very young age, this kind of sounds like what we do. You know, he went at a very young age, and he began to learn the word of God. We take them at a very young age. We put them in Sunday school. Right? To do what? To learn the Word of God. That's only half the equation. The other half the equation is that the parents are teaching them right. And teaching them in the Word and teaching them what, what, who God is and, what, and their relationship and all those things. But now they, they begin to, he, he was raised in this certain way. He was raised right. He was taught under the best of teachers. Right? He had Gamaliel as his teacher. I'm saying that right? Is that the right one? Okay, thank you. He had him as a, as a teacher and he brought him up. He was among the finest of men. And he was the best in his class. I can say it this way. Many of you have been raised up under the preaching of Harold Hildebrandt and Ed, Ed Hammermeister, Some of the best preachers in the message. I'll just be honest with you. That's how I feel about it. Men that God have gifted and God has used, and you've been raised up under them. You've had Sunday school teachers. You've been raised with good parents, all of these things. So here comes Paul, raised up right. He's got all this good teaching, so you could kind of relate to him up to this point, right? Right? Yeah, I can relate to him. I, I, could, I was thinking about this at home, and I was writing these things down. I thought, man, I can kind of relate to that. I was raised right. I had a really good teacher, really good parents. My dad was also a pastor, and we did all these things, and... It was wonderful and I got taught right. But you know what? I still fell. I still made mistakes. I I still gave in to the temptations of the flesh. And even Paul in all of his his, his wisdom, he still was, was incredibly zealous and sincere in what he believed. Right? So much so that he began to persecute those who believe in this Jesus called the Christ. And they began to persecute them and put them to death, all these things. Then one the day he's on his road to Damascus, and we find that he was called to the ministry by a supernatural calling. God came down the pillar of fire, knocked him off his horse, blinded him actually, made him go to Ananias to pray for him where he had to get prayed for. Then he went out in the desert for two years. Uh, at that point, some of us, most of us, kind of lose it right there. I can't relate to living in a desert for two years. That's a, that's a bit outside of my, my range. But now if you take it spiritually, some of us have been there. Will you go on to a desert for two years, what is that desert where you begin to just feed on the Word of God? Amen. He'd been taught by the best of teachers. But eventually you got to come to a place where you recognize, I need to know the God of this Bible. Oh. That was the place that Paul came to where he said, I've taught taught all these things, but now I need to know what it's all about. More importantly, who it's all about. So he became a minister by that way. Furthermore, what a lot of you can relate to too, Paul was single. All right, I can't relate to that anymore. Thank God. But he was single. He was single all his life. And he, he said it was quoted on the weekend. So I quote it again. I would that you were all as I am. Except for these bonds. So there you go. All the single people. But he was single. He was gifted as the messenger to the age of Ephesus. And he was gifted as a prophet. He was even the one that when Brother Bantam crossed over to the other side. They, they said to him. He said well I just preached what Paul preached. And all of the converts of Brother Branham said we're resting on that. We're resting on what Paul preached. So here's Paul's preaching, and he's saying, we all got a weak flesh. Now, let's go over to chapter 7, verse 1. Here's where I'm probably going to spend the rest of the service. In case you're wondering where I'm going with it. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. And he writes, know ye not, brethren. Here he quotes it. Well, I already quoted to you. He says, for I speak to them that know the law. Okay. So let me just say, before you start reading this whole chapter, he's realizing, I'm not speaking to people who are ignorant. I'm speaking to you that know the truth. Okay? I think that's who I'm speaking to tonight. I I know that's who I'm speaking to tonight. I know a lot of you very, very well. I'm speaking to you that know the law. And he says, how that the law have dominion over a man as long as he liveth. I'm going to read the type first because then he begins to type it like he goes into marriage and divorce but he's using it as a type where he says this for a woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives but if the husband be dead she is loose from the law of her husband So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, and she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now I want to take it back to you through a type. Remember, we're talking spiritual, right? A spiritual warfare, spiritual relationships. Where now he begins to say, if you're going to try and say you can live with another one when your old one's still living. If you still haven't died out to yourself, but you're trying to say, oh no, I'm under the grace of God, make sure you really repented. Make sure the reality of your repentance is true and you've sought all your salvation with fear and trembling. Because for you to be under the auspices and the headship of Christ, you've got to be dead to this old person. He says, wherefore, my brethren? Because that's how it happens. That's how people want to say, I'm born again. But when it suits me, I like to do what I like to do. That's called an adulteress, spiritually speaking. In other words, they've got a husband, or they're claiming they have a husband, but they've got a lover over here. They've got a mistress over here. And, but it's, it's pleasurable for a season. wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Now I go back to the statement that I said earlier where I said, the only way you can dismiss those relationships is by getting under the banner. And the only way you can get under the banner is by dismissing those relationships. It has to be by repentance. Only God can do it. That's why we're living in a day of miracles. The only miracle... The, not the only miracle, the greatest miracle that could be performed is for you to die and to be reborn. Yes. Now, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. There's the purpose of it. There's the purpose of the relationship. That you would bring forth his fruit. What is this fruit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, goodness, gentleness, patience. Right? There's a purpose to it. It's not just, wow, I'm under Christ. Praise the Lord. We're all going in. But get off my lawn! Just flying off the handle all the time. We got that in here in Edmonton, right? Because people like to sweep their snow banks up and don't touch their lawn. It's got to be perfect. It's not even a lawn. It's a pile of snow. It's for jumping in and playing and throwing your kids in. That's what it's about, right? No, for some people, it's about this beautiful, perfect lawn. And they just... Or you get out there driving and everything's just... uh, Right? But, oh, I'm in Christ. Now, you say, Brother Andrew, you're kind of preaching this really hard. Yeah, I am for a purpose. Because remember Brother Ed was talking about packing the boxcar. Right? Or Brother Bam talks about packing the boxcar. Right? It's the Holy Ghost that gives the seal. Okay? And I don't want to be guilty as a minister of putting a seal on an unpacked boxcar. car. You understand? I believe the Lord's working in each and every one of your lives, but I don't want to be guilty of trying to put it still. Oh, it's wonderful. You made it. Praise God. You made it. Oh, you all these problems. Don't worry about that. You're good. You made it. You're good. Praise God. You're a Christian. Listen, you're in young people. You're in church three times a week. That's good. That's all it takes. No. You need to know the Jesus that this Bible speaks of. You need to know him personally. And in knowing him personally, you can't have another lover. So now, in Romans chapter 7, where we were reading, he says there was a purpose to to the relationship. It was to bring forth fruit. And when you were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in 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 our members to bring forth fruit unto death. There was a relationship that you were having originally that wasn't bringing forth very good fruit. It was kind of rotten. Because it was your members that were yielded unto iniquity, unto iniquity. unholiness, unrighteousness. But now he begins to keep unfolding. He says, and now, but now we are delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Now, notice he doesn't say we should serve in newness of the flesh. You still got this old flesh. You're still going to make a mistake. You're still going to trip and fall. Are you with me? But there's still, he says, you need to serve him in newness of spirits. In other words, there's something, there's a change that's taking place in your spirit and now because there's been a, a relationship or a cultivation of a relationship with Jesus Christ which is down in your soul it pushes out from your soul into your spirit and you begin to serve him in newness of spirit instead of serving the old master in your spirit so what should we say then is the law sin god forbid Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Amen. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Now, He says, listen, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know what sin is. You could go and do something absolutely horrible, including murder, and if it wasn't for the law, you would not know you'd done something wrong. Yeah. That's why Cain could kill his brother and go, am I my brother's keeper? But God had to come down and begin to tell him, you've done wrong. You know there's something in you that's telling you you've done wrong, but you can't figure out what it is. That's why you're out here hiding. But because there's no law saying thou shalt not kill, you're not sure what's going on. Am I my brother's keeper? Is this really me? What do you mean I've done wrong? He got, I got angry at him. He got angry at me. Well, maybe he didn't get angry at me, but I, I didn't like what he did. So I killed him. But when the law came, then people knew what sin was. It was by the law. So here's Paul saying, it was good for me to study the law. It was good for me to be raised right. It was good for me to know what's right and what's wrong. Even though this gospel doesn't bring a set of rules of do's and don'ts. It brings a life in you that causes you to do right. Because it's the life of Jesus Christ which was perfect. Amen. However, he's saying it was good for me to know those things. Because it made me do right. It made me get to the place where I needed to get to where God could come on the scene. So I had not even known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. He says, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin is dead. So in other words, what's he saying? He said, I didn't realize that this was, to me, being consumed with evil desire. Concupiscence is to be consumed with evil desire. But not to be consumed in that. He says, I I wouldn't have known it was evil desire if it wasn't for the law. And the law took occasion of me. In other words, it, it was something that I didn't realize. Sin, sorry, took occasion by the commandment. That sin would would, would continually bombard me and bombard me for what purpose? To make you feel condemnation. To make you feel bad. To make you feel like uh, I'm a horrible person and I can't go on because I did this certain thing. Sin took occasion because the law said you shouldn't covet. And I had a thought that now all of a sudden I feel like a terrible human being because I did that. Saying that was sin took occasion. In other words, the devil took occasion because I knew the law. Yeah, I knew the commandment that I shouldn't do that. So it took occasion to make me feel bad. To make me know that I'd fallen. To try and get me believe that I was beyond help. That's how you get anxiety, depression, all those things. Why? Because somebody does something. It might not even been you do it somebody else does something and you just begin to worry about it, worry about it, worry about it, worry about it. Why? Because there's something in you that was taught that's wrong. Don't do that. So you all of a sudden are so consumed with that, but also you begin to say, ah, 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 how could they do that? And you begin to get anxious about it. You begin to get withdrawal into depression. Why? Because there's something that's taken occasion. Oh my. But Without the law, sin is just dead. So I says you've got to be Dead to the law. That's what we read earlier in the chapter, right? Dead to the law by the body of Christ. In other words, it's not that it's all for nothing. But rather, I'm not living under that anymore. I've got something else now. I've found grace in Jesus Christ. And not just grace for me, grace for others. We just need to get through this chapter. I'm holding you now. Apologize. Sorry I'm holding you, but I'm not sorry for what we're talking about. Or the reason why I'm holding you. Romans chapter 7, verse 9. It says, for I was alive without the law once. And when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In words, I realized I'm not good enough on my own. It says, and the the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. That is a bit of a paradox for you. It was ordained to life. It was there to bring life in order to bring me to life. But I found it to be to death. Why? Because I couldn't live it. It wasn't that the, the law literally was there into condemning everybody and law and death and all these things. No, but he realized I was falling short over and over and over. and I needed something more. I needed a different kind of life in me so I could serve him in newness of life, newness of spirit. Otherwise, I wasn't going to be able to keep up with the law. He said, but Andrew, this isn't really jump up and down young people service. You know, we can have a big pep rally and get everyone out of their seats and things. No. But this is good. What I'm trying to do tonight, I want to just help you live with the Holy Spirit. So I'm hoping that you're just taking it in and understanding that there are some things that take place that even with, because listen, there's a reason why I said, who was Paul? Because Paul is writing this now in the book of Romans in the end of his life and he's saying, I got a weak flesh. He'd just traveled the, the known world so many times over, preached the gospel. He'd won so many souls to Christ. He'd done all kinds of things. And here he comes down and he's writing about this. Uh, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found it to be unto death. And uh, But he's this great old sage, the messenger to the Ephesian age. How could he be saying these things? Because he's recognizing something after all the years of wisdom that he's had. Even living with the Holy Spirit under such anointing that he lived. He says, my flesh is weak. Yeah. Amen. Paul says, I still make mistakes. Verse 11. says, for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. That happens so much. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. You say, what do you mean the, the sin taking occasion of the commandment deceived me? It deceives you by trying to make you believe it, something that it doesn't exactly say. Yeah. Just like the serpent, Satan through the serpent did to Eve Thou shalt not surely die. He told her all the good things. Yeah, you'll be wise. You'll be like God. You'll know both good and evil. That was all true. Absolutely. But when the law came, he says, the the, the sin took occasion on that and deceived me by thinking that because I made a mistake, all of a sudden I was lost. But he says, that's not so. We got to get through this chapter because it gets better and better and better. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment's holy and just and good. But I thought he just said that I found the commandment to be unto death. And now he's sitting here saying the commandment's holy and just and good? Absolutely it is. He said, "It in itself is good, it's just, it's holy. it's to be reverenced, it's to be followed, it's to be lived. But there's only one way I can do it, not through myself, next, next verse, Brother Mark. It says, "Was then that which is good made death unto me?" God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me. That which is good and sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Next verse, verse 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's your first birth. We're all born in sin, shape in iniquity, come in this world speaking lies. That's in the Old Testament scriptures, Job and Psalms. But we find that all of, all of those things, he says, I'm, I'm sold under sin, this flesh. There's no good thing in it. I'm a carnal man, but the law is spiritual. In other words, the battle that I'm having is not in my flesh. It's in my spirit. In verse 15... It says, for that which I do, I allow not for what I would, that I do, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Oh my, there's some literary tongue twisting for you. For that which I do, I allow not. I would do it, but for some reason I just can't get it out. Here's Paul, he's the messenger of the age. He's the man that's traveled the world. He's won millions of sure millions, thousands—I don't even know—hundreds the hundreds and thousands of souls to Christ that he's won, and he's spread the gospel far and wide. And here he comes. That which I do, I just can't do it. There's something in this outside that just keeps stopping me over and over, and I know it's right, but I, oh, I fail myself over and over for what I would. I that I do not. That do I not? But what I hate, that do I. When I hate the very temptations that I'm preaching against, sometimes Satan shoves them right in my face and I fall flat on my face. Wow. Sometimes it happens that way. Born of the Holy Ghost. Because that's in the soul. And it's got to come out into the spirit where the battle is at. And you've got to feed that white dog. You've got to feed good. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to feed on the message of the hour. You have to do that. Because otherwise you're going to find yourself more and more falling, 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 falling flat on your face. Like you got two left feet or something. There we go. There's a title for you. Two spiritual left feet. Verse 16. It says, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Huh. This says It wasn't the law that was deceiving him. It was sin. He begins to recognize it's when he makes a mistake and Satan gets come and says, See, I told you, you ain't born again. See, I told you, you don't got it. See, I told you, you made that mistake. And you done this and you done that. And you told that. You said this over here. He does that, doesn't he? Absolutely, he does that all the time. But we find what's happening. He says, but it was the law that told me that was wrong. So it was good because I knew I had to repent. And in verse 17, it says, now then it is more, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. Oh, hallelujah. There's no more me. In other words, that's not who I really am. Who really am I? I am who I was in the sight of God. By a new birth, when he changed me, when he birthed me under his spirit, that's who I really am. But there's still that old nature up there that tries to influence me to do bad things. But I realize that's not me anymore. Verse 18. This says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh... Dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. There we go again, where he's almost repeating himself again, saying, I want to do what's right. The will is there. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why do I keep getting tripped up? You ever, you ever find that, where you're, you're talking to somebody, and, and you feel like you should witness to them, but it's just... That's all that comes out? Maybe you want to tell them about the Godhead, and the next thing you're hey, saying, you know, the God has a head? <laughs> it's this flesh. You just keep, it just keeps tripping you up over and over and over and over again because the flesh is weak. He said, listen, everybody's got it. We understand. It's okay. said, for that which is good. For the good that I would, do, that, that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. It's that old nature again began to influence me, and I'm realizing and In other words, he's saying there's a part in here he's not actually writing, which is I'm repenting of it. That somehow something happens and I repent of it. Why? Because that's not me. In other words, he's talking about there's a learning process here. You might have fallen so far and seen, but when God picked you up it took you out, when God gave you his spirit, there's a learning process where you need to learn how to walk in the light. Amen. Brother Brown, you can find many quotes Brother Brown would talk about, or many truths. We'll call it that now, because I like the way Brother Ed said that. We find many truths where we find that now that the Holy Spirit within you, it needs to keep growing and growing and pushing out the darkness. It's not that one day I had an experience. all of boom, there was an illumination. No, because listen, if you put a pin of light in a pitch black room, tell me what happens. Do you see that pin of light? Yeah. And you're drawn to that pin of light. And that's all you can see is that pin of light. Whatever that pin of light is shining on, there's your spirit of truth right there. It's all you can see. The rest of the room might be pitch black and you can't see the rest of it. But there's something in that pin of light and you're focusing on that pin of light and it begins to reveal to you something Till finally you begin to walk towards that and it begins to grow and it begins to illuminate, it begins to illuminate Till finally you realize there's no more darkness. That's why you can say and as you walk with the Lord and as you continue in the Holy Spirit, you begin to realize, I used to like that old thing. I used to have a lover back there where I would spend time for hours. And I would enjoy it. Now I don't care anymore. Yeah, amen. You know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to try that. I'm going to turn that, I'll just call it, that old game back on again. I'm just going to try it out. And you find out two minutes in, you're like, this is dumb. Yeah, amen. I used to spend hours on this. Yeah, because something happened. The light grew, and it finally pushed out that darkness, so now you realize I don't have a desire for that anymore. I was talking to a young man the other day who was actually one of my best buds. We were, we were fellowshipping around gaming and things, actually, and we were talking about He said, you know, because I have a gaming console. He has a gaming console. And I said, where's yours? He said, in a box. I said, yeah, mine too. <laughs> we both got these gaming consoles. We're like, yeah, you ever played them? I haven't played them in like four years, five years now. I don't even know. Those things that I used to enjoy, I don't enjoy it anymore. It doesn't, doesn't help me anymore. I, I, I used to enjoy playing NHL. You ever play, anybody ever play NHL on the on the computer? Thank you. We got some honest souls in here. <laughs> I used to enjoy that. Yeah, I'd sit there for hours. I used to get up. You know, I, I I'm not a morning person. Okay, I used to sleep in till all hours of the day. You can ask my wife. We got married. She thought we'd go on Saturdays do great things. I did in my dreams, like, but it was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and finally going on to bed, and she's like, uh, where are you? But anyways, so I'm not a morning person. When I was a kid, though, when it came to Saturday, because we were allowed to play the computer on Saturday and Friday night, and that's it, no school nights and no church days. So Friday night, we got half an hour, and Saturday, we got half an hour. But I knew that my parents weren't morning people either. But if I woke up my mom and I got her to type in the password to the computer at 6 a.m., I now had from 6 till 7, till 8, till 9, till 10. Oh, yeah. Now I look back and go, man, you imagine what I would have done praying from 6 till 8. But no, I had such a desire to play this NHL game. And I would sit there and play. And we had this dynasty. And I'd play season after season after season. All these things. Because I I was not a morning person. I I went in front of the screen like this. But it was something that just I had given it so much permission into my mind. And I'd given it so much provision that I would skip out on sleep to play this game. And I knew that my siblings wouldn't bug me because they weren't morning people either. I'm going somewhere with this. Stay with me. It's not all about NHL tonight. But we found that you'd make provision for that. But I I find the the other... Three years ago now, I put this game on my laptop. I was like, yeah, I used to love this game. So I loaded it on my laptop, and I put it in there. I played one game, and I couldn't wait till that game was over. I said, like, I feel like this must be how my sisters felt when I was trying to play them. And they're like, when is it over? When is it over? You win already. It's young people's. it's okay, right? All right. But I realized something. I didn't have a desire for that anymore. It didn't bother me anymore. That's just one example in gaming. That's something that bothers boys a lot. Not so much the sisters. The sisters have other things that bother them. I'm not gonna try and get into that too too much. But there's a lot of things that bother sisters. There's a lot of things we spend our time on. That sisters spend their time on. I know sisters will skip on a lot of other things they enjoy just to go shopping. And if you went to their closet and opened their closet, you'd find it's completely full of brand new clothes. And overflowing. I know this is true because my wife was like that. She had one. There were shoes piled up in there. There's clothes everywhere. And I'm like, oh, what are you doing this Saturday? We're going shopping. For what? Clothes. Why? Because I need some. <laughs> really? But it's something that for her meant something. It was something she, you don't realize. It's an enjoyment. It becomes a lover. That you can get away and you don't realize the whole time you're there in the shopping mall, there's blaring music going on. You're being bombarded with posters and fashions and all kinds of things that's happening. I'm not speaking against going clothes shopping. Sometimes we gotta, I still have to this day go clothes shopping. I still don't enjoy it. My wife still has to go clothes shopping. And she doesn't enjoy it either, but for different reasons because she's got three children to drag around. To every single store. It ain't the same anymore. But she realizes that that that, that doesn't mean so much anymore. But nowadays, you could do it right online. Oh, yeah, the devil pulled one over on us there, didn't he? (laughs) Well, I find now you got yourself, I'm sorry, my wife's not here to defend herself. You got yourself an online store and you're going, Don't worry, I won't buy anything. What are you doing? I'm browsing. Online? Yeah, yeah. Look, isn't this really cute? You going to buy that? No. What are you doing? Here's a message book. Here's the Bible. Yeah. Do something else. Here's your child. Here's son. son. <laughs> me, this has been on my heart for like three months, and I've been praying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to preach this kind of a service. I'm not very good at it. But sometimes we get that way where we have a mistress, we have a love, we have something we so enjoy, but it's taking away from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Where now all of a sudden we're not spending time with Him. We think, you know what? I got time for Him tonight. When I get home after Boxing Day shopping, I'm going to have time for Him. And then you get home after, I'm just picking on boxy day. Boxy day shop, it could be any day of shop. You can find the home. i day, man, my feet hurt. I need a bath now. Oh, I'm so tired now. I'm going to bed. And he's sitting there going, hey. You didn't pray this morning because you were in such a rush to get to the store before, it, before all the lineups are too long. And then he spent all day there anyways. Well, we take taking a day off. It's a relationship. It's a personal relationship with your Lord. If you imagine, it's like you young people, you go home to your parents after you've been in school. You know, they want to know how your day was, right, Brother Jared? How's your day? Good. Go in my bedroom. You're still my son, my daughter. You, you can't just take a day off. We still have a relationship here. I got a six-year-old son, and he's already like, yeah, can I listen to Odyssey? I want Adventures and Odyssey. Dad, can you listen to Adventures and Odyssey? No, I want to talk to you, but I want Adventures and Odyssey. That's great. I had to finally explain to him, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you ever ate ice cream? It's good, right? He said, yeah, it's lovely. I said, now eat the whole tub. He said, but I'll get sick. I said, exactly. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. In most things. There's one thing that too much of is not a bad thing. Believe it or not, it's not reading the Word. It's not studying the Word. It's not even reading the message. It's praying. Would a prophet in this day say that's the one thing you cannot do too much of? Why? Because what are you doing when you're praying? You're talking to your spiritual husband. You're having a relationship with the Lord Jesus. That doesn't happen with your head buried even in here. This is how you learn who he is. And Brother Brown says in one place, intellectual conception is good to a point. You can intellectually concept, and this is where a lot of denominations stop. They they have a conception of who Jesus Christ is, but they forget it ain't about just having a creed. It ain't about just having a set of doctrines and codes. You got to know the author you got to know Jesus Christ personally. That's where Paul's saying, I in myself had the law and I read it and I knew it by heart and I knew it all over the place, but I kept falling over and over and over and over again. And I realized my intellectual conception wasn't good enough. My, We're not hardly getting anywhere tonight. Is this okay? All right. I kind of woke you all up with a little bit of humor there, so I don't want to. I'm already way too late. I apologize. Give me 10 more minutes. Would you give me 10 more minutes? All right, I promise you, 10 more minutes. Where are we at? 9-11, okay. 9 okay. All right, nobody call 911 on me. All right, Romans chapter seven. Where are we at? Verse 20 by the mark. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 21. I find then a law... That when I would do good, evil is present with me. This is the truth. You could be born of the Holy Spirit and absolutely have good intentions to do good, and you'll find that old nature is with you all the time. Yeah. Remember, I talked about that, where Brother Brown. you can go down the stairs there, you can see the picture of the pillar of fire with the, with the seven rainbows, seven bows of the pillar of fire. And there in the background, it highlights a picture of a face. The man says, "That's my old nature, sitting right back there. It's always there. Your old nature. You can be born again. You can have a new spirit, but you find that old self that was born in sin, shaped for iniquity, came in this world, speaking lies. It's there, trying to talk to you." He said, "I find a law, that ain't going away until the body change. That ain't going away till this is gone, until finally I get a perfect body, a, a body like Jesus when He came back onto Earth and He had a, a, a theophany." Until I get something like that, I'm going to still have that old guy back there. When I would do good, evil is still present with me. He says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Now he begins to get into something. I delight after the law of God after the inward man. In other words, that law of God might be so hard on the outside. It might condemn me so much in my spirit, in my flesh. But in the inward man... Oh, it's a delight, because that's sealed. Next verse, verse 23. It says, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. Hallelujah. I might have this law here that when I would do good, evil is present with me, but there's something else in me coming out. There's something else inside of me that's been warring against it that's fighting against it trying to do that which is good that there's the battleground in the spirit going back and forth. Next verse verse 24 says, "O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death?" Oh wretched man. That's how it feels sometimes being a Christian really because there's something on the inside pushing out and there's something on the outside pushing in. You feel like, "Oh God, why can't I just get over this?" Why can't I just get over this hump I'm in, this cycle I'm in over and over and over again? It takes something so, so simple. You have to rely on Jesus Christ. Stop trying to fight the battle yourself and recognize He is my banner. I gotta get under the banner, and all these other things will fall away. Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. So now he's saying, listen, I found all these things. I've had all these struggles. But by I thank God through Jesus Christ, through the grace of God. So then with the mind now, he says, I'm winning the battle. I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In other words, I can't fix that said, I just walked into Superstore the other day. It was, a, it was Tuesday night after, no, yeah, Tuesday night after prayer meeting. And I walked in there and I happened to see this, this woman wearing something and I right away turned away. It just was so immoral. I turned away and then my brain registered what she was wearing and I turned back because I couldn't believe. It wasn't that I was turning back to admire her or anything like that, but I turned back because I thought, am I really seeing that? Is that really a style today? I'll just be honest with you. She was wearing a pair of sweatpants that came up way past her belly button. She still couldn't find a shirt that came down that far. I, I, I don't know if I'd just never seen that before. I thought, are you serious? Like, Really? But that's the way the world is. But in other words, there's still, still my flesh. That I, I, It doesn't matter where you walk today. There's still evil things that's going to present itself before your eyes. Yeah. There's still evil things you're going to hear. You're going to happen to walk by a store if you happen to be out shopping and hear a song. Got to be a little facetious there. Happen to be out shopping. so Don't, don't worry. But we find that, uh, that you, might, you might just happen to hear something. You might happen to something to happen. You might pick up one of those old books and read it and something happens to you. Oh, oh wretched man that I am. But I thank God. So when the, with the law, of, with the mind I serve the law of God, I'm winning the battle up here because I keep feeding it. But out here, it just is what it is. But you have to take the next verse with it. Chapter eight and verse one. You have to take this with it, where it says this. But the mark you put up there, there is, therefore now, no condemnation to them that go to anti-message tabernacle. No, sorry, that's not what it says at all. It says, to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Hallelujah. So we're say, listen, there's a battle going on. I'm winning the battle up here. The flesh is still here, but I'm not following that flesh. I'm following with the law of God in my spirit. Because that's the driving force that brings this flesh into subjection. Even though I I, I can't make it so that way I never look at things or I never see things anymore. But rather I turn my head. Brother Branham says so many times. He said when you see that evil thing, you turn your head. He says the Holy Spirit causes you, young man, to turn your head. Hallelujah. Away from that immorally dressed woman, away from that thing that you ought not to look at, away from that magazine, away from those things, away from those things online when you happen to see. Oh my, sometimes you just go on YouTube and something just pops up and you're like, shut it down. That's why I've told you in the past, there's times I've just been on my phone just looking at something. Next thing I know, Satan comes in like a rush. Oh yeah, he does. He comes in and all those old things that used to bother me come in like a rush. And I'll just take my phone and throw it across the room. Because I know that's what he's trying to anoint. He's trying to get me to look at something that used to bother me. But now I realize I'm not walking after the flesh anymore. I'm walking after the Spirit. And there's no condemnation to those that that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. To those that are born in other words, those that have come through justification. Those that have come through sanctification. Those that have been born of the Spirit of God. To them there's no condemnation. Now we're going to end on this. But now we find finding condemnation. Condemnation we find is to be tried and found guilty. In other words, in Christ Jesus you cannot be found guilty. That's why Paul can write and say, It wasn't me that did it. It's sin that dwelleth in me because I'm in Christ. But he recognized this flesh is not in Christ. Are you with me? This flesh is not redeemed. And I'm so happy for that because it's a bit too pudgy. I'm going to have a good body over there. It's going to be the perfect body the way God's seen, the way it should have been. Amen? If you say amen, you're not talking about me. You're talking about yourself. Okay, but he didn't redeem this flesh and all the scars. I got a scar there, a scar there, a scar there, a scar there, a scar, there a scar there. I got all these scars and all kinds of things going on. I got other scars in my back and my side. That's just the way this flesh is. But he didn't redeem this to say, This is what's coming over. No, he said, I redeemed your soul and your spirit. Yes. Hallelujah. There is no condemnation. You cannot be found guilty. If you just flip over a couple of pages to Romans chapter 14. We are still ending on this. Don't worry. I'm still in condemnation or in conviction. Romans chapter 14 and verse 22 says it this way. It says, hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Now, I know you want to try and look at me say, read the rest of the chapter. He's talking about eating meat offered to idols and different things. But I, you could take this outside of that. Every verse in the Bible stands by itself. But you find if you take this outside of that, what is he saying? Happy is the man who doesn't condemn himself by something he alloweth. In other words, something he approves. You'll know the tree by the fruit that it bears. You may say, oh, they'll never know something you're approving of. Would you like to subscribe to this magazine? Oh, I approve. Would you like to sign up for this website? I approve. You got that? That isn't there an ad or something on? It was an ad or something I heard on a on a radio. You're approved. Say it together. Approved. That's the way the world wants to try and put it. We can approve you for everything. You can have approval for this, approval for that, approval. He's as happy as man. He doesn't condemn himself. By the things which he's just allowing to happen all over his life. Approving this, approving that, approving this, approving that. Oh, everything's wonderful. God loves everybody. But now go flip over to conviction. Because I always like to throw this in here. And I know I've spoken on a little bit recently in the other young people. I just said it briefly. But what is conviction? Conviction is the state of being sensible to Guilt. In other words, it's not just you recognize you're wrong, recognize what's wrong and right, but rather the word gives you a sensitivity to guilt, which causes you to repent, which renders you not guilty. You're with me? That's where Paul says, listen, I found then that when I would do good, evil is present with me, and it's not me that does it, but it's sin that dwelleth in me. Because he's realized that I was convicted that I did something wrong and so I repented of it and I'm not guilty. I'm not under condemnation because I'm in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So it's not just that we go about doing everything we would, but he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Why? Because there's a war. Because I want to do what's right. Because there's a spirit in me that pushes me to do the right, to do the word of God, to fulfill his commandment, to be about the business of the Father. It's not that I just live any old way I want because I'm in Christ. Praise the Lord, I'm not condemned, I'm not guilty. No. But rather, because he's cleansed me and washed me from that, and he's put a new spirit in me, I want to do what's right. I have a different desire. That at one point your desire was towards the old mistress, the old lover. That's changed to a new desire in Christ Jesus. Let's stand to our feet. If you really want to know, we skipped over a few things and ended on page three. Conviction. There's still conviction in a Christian walk. There is no condemnation. You're not guilty. That's what justification is. Right? All those sins of the past. He justified you. It's as though you never did it in the first place. And then he washed you in his blood. Sanctified you. Cleaned you out. Made you. Put you aside. Ready for service. So that he could do what? Fill you. With his spirit. Say, well, I never fall again. Oh, no. You'll still make mistakes. I still make mistakes. We all still make mistakes. So Paul says, we all got a weak flesh. I speak, Romans chapter 6, verse 19, as I speak after the manner of man because of the infirmity of your flesh. Can you say amen? My flesh is infirm. It just is. I say, brother, are you sick? No, not at all, actually. I don't have COVID or anything else. Thank the Lord. But in a spirit world, it's incapable. It's weak. It cannot handle. It needs something else. It needs God. Amen. Amen. This is my desire. But, Tony, there you are. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all.